0: My name is Axabrenti Escobrent Brenthill. It is my podcasting name. Jenna does not use her real name, although at this point, everyone who watches Polygon knows it. Welcome to Fandalites, the weekly podcast where Jenna and myself read and discuss the Animorphs books by K. Applegate and Order. This week we are reading book 52, The Sacrifice, which is the final Axe POV. Uh, We open with Axe, Rachel, and James discovering that the Yerks are rounding people up and sending them to the Yerk Pool by rail, apparently having given up all pretense of a stealth invasion. After a failed rescue attempt, they wing it back to camp to discuss options. What they decide to do is blow up the fucking pool. although Cassie won't go along with it until Jake tells the rest of the Animorphs about Cassie's double fuck-up. Oh, also, she and Jake are cool again, I guess. Also, Axe has been secretly reporting to High Command this whole time, and they've told him to stop the pool bombing, so they can more effectively execute their planet bombing. They take their entire squad to convince a National Guard base to lend them some trucks, explosives, and personnel, and somehow that works! Axe decides to side with the Animorphs over Andalite High Command, and he, Marco, and Cassie make a suicidal train run on the Yerkpool, which they survive, but so does Visser Three. Whew. Well, before we get into him too much, uh, this was written by Kimberly Morris, who also wrote books 38, 48, and 50. I believe she's the same Kimberly Morris that mainly writes children's books, and as previously, I cannot find a website for her. Uh, also, it was pointed out to us uh, on Twitter and via email that we mentioned something about Kay Applegate's son in a previous episode, and that is incorrect. Kay Applegate has a daughter. So sorry,
1: yeah, that's one hundred percent on us. I think we both knew that k a had a trans daughter. And we did not do our due diligence to figure out which of uh, her children it was. So we did that. And we also accidentally dead named her. So double bad on us. We're really sorry about that.
0: So uh, I believe this is the last ghost written book. Oh, is it? I'm pretty sure the last two are written by K.A. and Michael Grant.
1: Oh, I know the the last one is for sure. It wasn't about the next one. Well, that's exciting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, especially after how sort of off this book feels for an Axe POV.
1: Yeah, it's really hard to pinpoint what it is that doesn't sound like Axe. I don't know if you have a good sense of what it is.
0: Well, I mean, at first, early on in the book, his speech seems particularly stilted. Uh, And then by the end of the book, I think what feels off about it is that he's having the same fucking character beat that he's had like twice Mm. already, where he has to choose between Andalites and Animorphs and is real torn up about it and finally chooses Animorphs. And like Axe Buddy, I I thought we settled this like two or three times.
1: Yeah, especially like that exact literal thing where he has to choose between his loyalties between humanity and Andalites. He already chose humanity like a while back. Part of that made me wonder if that wasn't supposed to be more drawn out and, and somebody just came to the conclusion and then they needed something to fill out this book. That feels unfair, but I don't know what else it could really be.
0: Yeah, I, I don't have a great explanation otherwise for him giving his own anamorphs the old spicy andalite.
1: Oh, t- describe to me what you consider a spicy andalite.
0: Uh, that's where you act like you are going to follow Jake's orders and insist on calling him prince, but then behind his back inform on him to... Uh, the Andalite High Command, and take their orders.
1: That's wicked specific.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, Andalites are a particularly typecast race.
1: (laughs) See, I thought it was going to be something about Axe's Tailblade, which we learn in this book is not metal. It's actually something else. Right.
0: I assume bone or keratin or chitin, maybe.
1: Yeah, something that can be really sharp. I don't know. What are claws made out of? Uh, it's probably that.
0: Carrot in it, right? Like, keratin, maybe? Like fingernails?
1: Yeah. So it's something like that. Yeah. I For some reason, I was imagining metal.
0: Do hooves ground you? Like, do they keep you safe from high voltage if you've got hooves? Oh,
1: I think they ground you emotionally because you feel like more connected to the planet. Uh, I don't know about the science on on (laughs) it grounding you from a live wire in a subway as you're driving it into the belly of the earth.
0: I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Now, I I might be wrong about this because Mm -hmm. I have not lived on a farm despite being in proximity to them most of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that people use electric fences to keep cows and horses sort of in their pastures. And I don't think those are higher voltage than whatever electricity mains running through the subway here. So hmm. I, I just don't know. I think the only conclusion is that in the Animorphs books, uh, in the Animorphs verse, that uh, cows are just all over the place. They're, they're unrestrained and wild.
1: Well, who's to say that the material that Axe's hooves are made out of is the same material as other creatures.
0: Well, that's fair, like, because they do have horrifying mouths in them, don't they?
1: Yeah, I'm saying they've got orifices down there. Maybe it's some sort of pla- plastic. What grounds you? Rub- what grounds you, Brent? Rubber. Rubber. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe maybe he's got little rubber feetsies.
0: The rubber-hoofed andalite sort of fits with the cartoon description of someone getting electrocuted that happens later in this book. Uh, so I think we're, we're in Toontown now.
1: Great. I'm glad to be here. Yeah,
0: that's what happened. Look out for the judge. We in Toontown.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense since this this book is all full of like public transit hijinks. That really falls in line.
0: Man, okay, I forgot to say first off, but my biggest takeaway from this book is that I kind of would be okay with the Yurks taking over if it could get the fucking public transit projects (laughs) done as fast as they are, because holy Christ, how long has (laughs) it been? And they've got like six or seven new spurs on the goddamn subway?
1: I mean, they got those taxon working using their horrible, never-ending hunger to drill through the earth. Uh, I think, but to to be fair, to your point, I think even if humanity had access to taxon, it still would not ever happen. We are never getting a bullet train.
0: I I'm I'm not I'm gonna try and not dox myself as much as possible here, but. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that the public transit spur uh, from the major city nearby where I live to where I live Mm -hmm. is not happening for like another ten years, like earliest. If you're lucky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's get some fucking taxins in on this. (laughs) Uh, Whatever, I'll take it. Give me my trains.
1: This is important. It's good to know the line in the sand uh, at which we will sell out humanity.
0: I will sell out humanity to any alien species that will actually spend tax money on infrastructure (laughs) improvement. (laughs)
1: Yeah, the public transit is such a weird, pivotal thing in this book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Yerks have taken it over, and as as public transit goes, so goes all of the hapless humans that they're rounding up.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, they talk about how they started with Oh, I can't remember what they started with. But they when they go back and look at the trains, they have like people in their pajamas and robes that they've just like pulled out of their houses to send down into the, the pool.
0: Yeah, the, the implication by the end was that they had started with just grabbing anybody who happened to be passing by. And then by the end of the book, they were like sweeping house to house.
1: Yeah. And getting just everybody. Which
0: is horrifying.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of escalation. I appreciate Rachel wanting to go in and fuck things up immediately, because it's a very Rachel take. But I'm also glad that they, like, actually planned. Like, this might be their most thoroughly well thought out and planned uh, sort of stratagem. And it works. Great.
0: Yeah, uh, Cassie's not wrong, though?
1: Oh, no, no, she was not.
0: It's very well planned, but it also is a war crime.
1: Uh, yes,
0: And nobody ever mentions the fact that the whole like area of town above the Yurk Pool is a smoking crater. Like they warned yeah. all the dudes in the Yurk Pool to run away. But what about everybody in the buildings up above?
1: Yeah, I noticed that at the end of the book as well, because they, they quietly don't call that out in the writing. It's just sort of like they go through all this trouble to give as many hosts and and bodies down in the pool the chance to run uh, and then afterward, it's like, yeah, and then it was like at the end of Buffy, where there's just a giant crater where the city used to be. What happened to all of those people? The same thing
0: that happens to all of the human controllers that they slice their way through on the way to their uh, various mission goals. They're dead, and we don't think about them or talk about them or acknowledge that we killed them.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it, I, I'm i not certain what more they could have done.
0: Yeah, I, I don't have a better plan, necessarily.
1: Yeah, I mean, it feels like there there must have been something... I don't know. Maybe not. Like, even if they, they had some sort of evacuation notice at the top level, how much time could they have really given people without tipping off the yerk pool? Because you, you would need more than five minutes if you're on the top level to get out of the danger range.
0: I'm surprised that nobody brought up maple ginger instant oatmeal again.
1: Oh my god. You know what I am too. For some reason, that aspect of this series is so forth-prevalent in my mind, the (laughs) fact that it never gets brought up again is amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah, that really was a a fucking flash in the pan for one book, wasn't it? The Helmicrons got like four fucking stories. (laughs) Maple ginger instant oatmeal got one.
1: (laughs) God, yeah, and yet I remember it so vividly.
0: <laughs> the Yerks were, like, hooking on the corner to afford another hit of that maple ginge.
1: That maple no, I'm not going to say that. It's a horrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, that maple
0: ginge. That goofy no, I'm mush.
1: Gonna, I'm pushing this podcast forward with or without you, Brent. That
0: heavenly porridge.
1: Hey, do the Yerks morph or do the human controllers that the yorks are in morph
0: hey that's a great fucking question because i thought we'd settle that last episode but then here (laughs) comes this goddamn book
1: yeah. Yes. Okay. So there's that moment early on when they are in the after like Rachel and Axe, uh, see what's happening and they dive into the subway and they're getting chased by a bunch of bird, uh, morphed controllers and or yurks. They are in there and they, the bird morphers land and transform back into their regular body and then morph again into some battle morphs. This book, at that moment, makes it seem like it's... Yerks. It's just yurks. But the actual text, I went back and read this because I was like, what exactly do they say? The actual text doesn't specify what body they morph back into when they demorph.
0: Yeah. And then Axe catches that one peregrine falcon morph and it's like, bro, just let me go. I am five minutes away from becoming a bird knotlet and I can get away from this whole thing. And that I don't think works if the host body is the one that's morphed.
1: Yeah, it it, ha- it has to be, it just has to be the yurk. Like it just has to be a yurk that has morphed. And I think that makes sense for this area because they could just be like dedicated morph capable yurks who are acting as guards.
0: Who just have to become completely helpless for a couple minutes every two hours. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it works out okay. But then later, when we're in the yerk pool, there are definitely some human controllers morphing. Like there are definitely human bodies morphing to escape.
0: Well, I think the only conclusion then is that there's both. Because in previous books, we definitely saw human controllers morphing from human to animal. Uh, And in this one, we kind of, it's implied that both are happening. So I think maybe the actual morph capable Yerks are like stage two of the program.
1: That kind of makes sense. I I guess we have to assume that the humans that uh, are given the morph ability are probably voluntary controllers, because if you gave an involuntary human the morph capabilities, I think they could just escape. Like, I think they would just be able to escape.
0: Oh, yeah, that's 100% true. Well, you'd lock them up and they'd morph a vole or a flea or something and just take the fuck yeah. off.
1: They would just leave. So I guess I guess the people, the humans that can morph are probably voluntary controllers. I think
0: you're right. And that's actually brilliant because it hadn't occurred to me that uh, having to fight off the first morph instinct rush and an involuntary host at the same time has got to be uh, way more difficult than most jerks want to deal with.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. When I read the portion where Axe catches that uh, that one controlled bird... Uh,
0: before Rachel Street murders it.
1: Yeah, well, maybe, maybe not. Probably, maybe not. When, uh, when Axe is talking to him, I was so confused because they didn't specify that they had morphed or demorphed into yurks. So I still thought it was a host that had been controlled. And I was so confused. <laughs> uh, and it also really creeped out that this yurk was going to force this human body to become a bird and then just live in it. Somehow that's one cut above what they're already doing.
0: I'm pretty sure that if that happens, the Yurk still starves after three days, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, it has to. They have to have, have been actual Yurk more Yeah,
0: because otherwise it's just like a final fuck you to the person that you've enslaved.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I'm
0: going to go out and also you're a bird now. Fuck off!
1: For most of that conversation, that's what I thought was happening. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought this one Yurk was just being a real ding-dong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then I, when I went back and reread the the whole section, it doesn't say. It seemed like it was trying to tiptoe around it, but then there's no other conclusion we can come to, really.
0: I, I mean, the Yerk might also have been bluffing.
1: That also low-key bothered me that Axe was like, well, this, this kid's probably on the level.
0: Well, at the same time, getting so <laughs> mad about humans making emotional, like, split second decisions without (laughs) consulting anybody and he sounds more like Aloran in this book than he ever has uh, before he pulls himself out of that tailspin at the end
1: no kidding, uh, especially because if that York wanted to just live as a bird, he could have immediately have done that. Mm-hmm. So why, uh, like begging for his life at that moment, it's a little bit like, well, Axe, you're going to be shitty to Rachel about maybe killing him. But also, you have no reason to believe he wasn't going to go and tattle. So Axe
0: has this whole thing about how like, you should be a, a hard man making hard decisions that kills because it's necessary, but doesn't enjoy the kill. But like, mm-hmm. Rachel is what they forced her to be.
1: Yeah. She yeah. she was
0: the designated David executioner. So Axe, like, shut up.
1: <laughs> Just shut up. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. His whole creating the spectrum for humanity that is like one side Rachel and one side Cassie. And uh, that was all kind of weird. The
0: Rachel Cassie spectrum of humanity sounds like one of those weird models that MRAs come up with to explain why no one will date them.
1: Yeah, kind of. I mean, that's kind of what Axe is, kind of his weird, bad energy in this book.
0: That's part of also why I don't think it feels a lot like Axe, because he'd grown so much since this happened the first time that he had to make this decision, <laughs> I thought.
1: Yeah, he's already been through all of the emotional changes in this book. So it doesn't really feel very rewarding, because it's it just feels like a backslide. Yeah,
0: it's disappointing that this is the last we see from Axe's point of view.
1: Yeah, and he doesn't condemn humanity to a quarantine that means their total execution. So thanks, I guess.
0: I mean, he does help execute a, a terrorist bombing of a city.
1: That's his trade off. <laughs> it's it's one act of violence or the other. And I guess he feels probably pretty good about the one act he did over the other one.
0: He does make a good point, though, during this book that Jake was like super pissed at him for threatening to blow up the area that the Yurk in. Hmm. Not that many books ago to the point where he directly forbade it and Axe had to knock him out and steal a jet. Uh, And now Jake is like, look, we're doing this. We're blowing up the city. And Axe is like, well, all right, I guess I have really been beating myself up about that for nothing.
1: I assumed Axe was more beating himself up about knocking Jake, his prince, unconscious. And and less about the genocide.
0: I guess at the beginning of the book, he does seem like he's holding that fig leaf rather than beating himself up because he basically says, well, my my actions were in some ways traitorous, but they also help a lot of people get to work on time. So it's impossible to say if they're bad or not.
1: I mean, that's sort of Axe's whole deal in this book. I don't like it. I don't either. It feels like, I I don't know, I, I wanted more from this book. I mean,
0: he also keeps insisting that, like, betraying your superiors is the worst thing possible, but then he has an incredibly fluid definition of who his superiors are, basically from chapter to chapter.
1: That might be part of his whole, like, it's hard to know if we're supposed to read that into what he writes. Because he has all of that, he has, like, this whole speech at the end that's like, oh, humanity, are, there are so many things, they're kind but violent, they love peace but they love to. De- punch that sort of thing i don't remember i think that was it exactly actually they're
0: like rain on your wedding day
1: (laughs) but also that is him in this entire book and it's it's hard to tell if we're supposed to see that and recognize that within axe or if we're not you know what i mean is
0: this book just axe finally having his breakdown
1: it might be because
0: he kind of softens towards the end after he realizes he stops a minute and realizes that they're all actually children
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah, he does have that moment when I think it's when Rachel and Naomi, who were sort of at each other's throats for a lot of this book, they have this moment where like Naomi knows the National Guard captain and will vouch for Jake for being a good commander. A weird sequence.
0: Yes, very strange. (laughs)
1: Yeah, the conclusion of it is that Rachel sees that her mom has value in the war. And so their relationship is repaired. Am I saying that right? That sounds horrible.
0: I mean, it's a little bit of a glib description because I wouldn't necessarily say their relationship is repaired. But Rachel does like show vulnerability to her mom for basically the first time in the series.
1: Yeah, the most vulnerable she's been to anybody in the whole series, I would argue. But yeah, she like breaks down and cries on her mom's shoulder. And it's... A... I
0: think she might have been more vulnerable to, to Rat David uh, a few books ago.
1: Oh, shit. Fuck. Christ.
0: <laughs> Did you forget about 48?
1: No, I think maybe a different kind of vulnerability. Yeah. I don't even know if that was... I think a different kind of vulnerability. I think this is more, more vulnerable. Yeah,
0: all right. I'll buy it.
1: Because this wasn't a moment where she was forced to that moment. It was just sort of... Anyway... That was a good
0: moment. Yeah, yeah, I really did appreciate that moment. And like I said, Axe kind of pulled out of it at the end. A lot of this book he spent being just shitty and hard to read and not sounding like himself. And then sort of towards the end, he made that connection like, oh, shit, actually, uh, b- because he's he's thinking like they're being so childish and uh, and <laughs> impulsive. And oh, oh, fuck. Wait, we actually are all children, aren't we? Oh, oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, shit. Oh, God. <laughs>
1: I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. I was a cadet. A cadet. We're all children. Oh my I'd, god!
0: I'd still be in school. Holy shit!
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, he spends the his and Cassie's relationship. We feel like we don't get a lot of scenes with him prior to this book, but this book is a lot of acts sort of trying to come to terms with the huge, massive betrayal that as he sees it, that Cassie has perpetrated against the Andalites by giving up her this morph technology. And that is, it's hard. He's harsh. Yeah, I mean, he has that whole section where he's talking about how if... Cassie were an Andalite and they were on the Andalite homeworld which do we have a name for?
0: Andalana is what we decided to call it remember?
1: Oh okay I didn't remember that I wrote down Andalasia in my notes. I like
0: that too though
1: (laughs) Uh, Axe says that if they had been on Andalatia, Cassie would have been tried (laughs) and definitely executed for her mercy which
0: is pretty telling honestly we we find out some very dire things about Andalite society in this book uh, even though we already know that Andalite society is pretty dire just over overall.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, some surprising things that were not surprising. Yeah,
0: like so it's it's very telling that, like, Cassie decided not to murder someone, uh, kept a murder from happening, and therefore would definitely be executed. Aloran, we discover, uh, was only <laughs> shunned because he didn't successfully genocide the Hork-Bajir, because <laughs> Andalite High Command is now like, yeah, totally, we're absolutely blowing up this planet. What could go wrong? Yeah, we've tried this before and it never worked. uh, But we haven't thought of anything else. And we're all out of options.
1: Yeah, the quote unquote quarantine of the planet,
0: which everybody, including Tobias immediately knows is a fucking code for exploding, (laughs) exploding a planet.
1: Yeah, not a good one. Not a good look.
0: No, not at all. And then he talks about how on Andalon or Andalusia, uh, people with disabilities are made to go live on their own away from society. And really, if you think about it, it's for their own good. So they don't have to feel shame. What the fuck?
1: Yeah, he specifically says it's "quote unquote" for their own sake, and it's like, okay, axe, that's not how. If it's if it's because they don't want to feel shame, then it's not for their own sake; it's for all y'all's shitty sakes. It's bad. Ugh. It's bad take, axe.
0: Oh, Andalites, Andalites, man, Andalites are America.
1: Mm. Mm. We can't not yet. Okay, wait, can we? No, not. I'm too sick. We can't do it this episode. So the the we actually got some really good information in this book about cassie's motivation yes
0: the question that's been plaguing us for books
1: (laughs) two books yes exactly Uh, so jake finally reveals what cassie did to the rest of the group and that was also surprising for some reason i did not think it was a secret even though it clearly was in the last book i don't know why i thought nobody else knew but for some reason i did but they finally revealed that cassie let the morph cube go and apparently like
0: sharing that was all jake really needed to stop being so like apocalyptically mad at cassie
1: I mean, maybe it was Cassie apologizing or explaining sort of her her rationale.
0: She only really explains her best rationale, I think, once Axe sort of corners her.
1: Yeah, I do wish she'd laid it all out for the rest of them. But it it is basically, I think, what we supposed the last book, which is that she was hoping that having morph technology would would alter the Yurk death cult in such a way that they wouldn't need or want to fight anymore.
0: Right, because now there's a third option.
1: And I mean, we we see the hints of that because like we do see that Yerk morphed hawk beg for its life, Uh, whether or not that was true. And we can believe it is another question. But we
0: also saw those Hork-Bajir controllers turn on the Visser last book.
1: Yes, I mean, there's definitely like the Yurk resistance definitely exists and is is there. And we did see, we did see at the end at the Yurk pool a, a bunch of controlled humans and Hork-Bajir help the trapped hosts that were not controlled because their Yurks were in the pool. Like there was a massive rescue effort that everybody took part in. Yeah,
0: which was pretty wild, and I think I think affected Axe more than he more than he wanted to admit.
1: Yeah, I mean, it affected me more than I want to admit.
0: I know, I know, especially since the, the stance of these books for so long, other than than Cassie's impassioned defense of the of the Yurk peace movement, like there've been overtures towards well, Yurks don't all have to be like this. But what we've seen primarily from Yurks is monstrosity. And the fact that all of a sudden, like, once shit has blown up enough that they're not going to get immediately decapitated by the Viscer, a not insignificant portion of, of these uh, Yerkes involved in the hierarchy immediately start doing good.
1: Yeah, they react to the pretty intense moment by helping out the people that they've more or less enslaved. Uh, and that was really fascinating. And and now the Yerk Pool's destroyed. So, like, what up?
0: I was thinking about this. I couldn't figure out re- what the reference was. But last time they did some sort of damage to the Yerk Pool, wasn't there like an auxiliary Candrona on the mothership in orbit?
1: I assume that some of the yurks will be saved, but I also assume that that's going to be a huge, massive effort to get them all back up and a huge number. Like it wasn't it wasn't just the Kondrona rays in the pool getting destroyed. It was also all of the yurks that were in the pools. Correct. So, I yeah, I'm curious to see what the ripple effect of this is. Axe also mentions that, or maybe maybe not Axe, it might be Marco later on in the book, mentions that they also have a huge number of people who know exactly what's going on because they were controlled hosts. And now they're free, and that's going to change some shit.
0: Especially since the story that the Yurks have been disseminating about the governor having a breakdown uh, mm-hmm. can now be directly contradicted by a whole bunch of people.
1: Yeah, and I I don't know if that is literal because there was a lot of hearsay. I, I they mentioned that she might have been like sent to a sanctuary or something. Uh, we I don't think we know exactly where the governor's at at this moment. I wish we did because I love her.
0: Yeah, what what we know is that the non-controller national guard captain that like rallied to her is in the process of being court-martialed, and the Yerkes have pretty effectively laid down a a story about it being an elaborate hoax. So. Wherever she's at is probably not great.
1: I assume she'll be back. I hope she'll be back. Otherwise, that was a lot of effort to go through.
0: Right. And, like, they write her off almost immediately at the beginning of this book, when when they're trying to decide, like, who they can go to for help. And, like, okay, I guess. But, like, didn't we just spend a whole fucking book on convincing her?
1: Yeah, it seemed- it, it did always seem weird to me that they just sort of let her go their separate ways- rather than taking her back to the valley with them. It almost seemed like they were like, okay, we've gotten everything we need out of her. Whatever happens next is on her. I
0: got the impression that it was more like, can you imagine a world in which we successfully convince her to come be a refugee in the valley instead of trying to fix things from her office?
1: I mean, I think there's a different, like, I think you could dispatch some people to watch over her. Yeah. Like, I think they could, they could have taken more steps or effort into keeping an eye on her. And they don't, they just sort of seem to write her off immediately, even in her, in that book she's introduced in. Yeah. And you know, that's fine. They've got other shit to do.
0: (laughs) Right. Like, I guess recruit some other National Guards.
1: Yes. More National Guards.
0: Almost by accident.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Well, I mean, it's, it's recruit them or kill them and cassie's there so they attempt to recruit them well
0: also naomi knows this guy so yeah
1: that was so funny that was such a weird moment it
0: was very strange (laughs)
1: like like why but okay but why i
0: mean because why not
1: yeah why not
0: why not
1: what else in this book, Brent?
0: I don't even know, man. I just, I still can't get over the description of the the controllers getting electrocuted with their skeletons flashing through their skin. I can't fucking get over it. <laughs> I didn't have time to look up electrocution on Wikipedia, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it works.
1: Maybe Axe has, like, special eyesight. Maybe he's got, like, x-ray vision. <laughs> Brent, maybe he has x ray vision
0: he, it would have to be Z-ray vision, z ray vision because everything's he's
1: <laughs> he's got rubber hooves <laughs> and a, a tail blade that's made out of teeth
0: <laughs> oh yes, oh my god
1: <laughs> and and, and z space vision uh, he's he's god's perfect creature I, I
0: want to go home. <laughs>
1: Do you have anything more to say about this book?
0: No, I think we, this is, I think going to be a short episode, but honestly, as we get towards the end, they've been so action packed that it has been difficult to talk uh, about a lot of them because fully half this book was action scene for sure.
1: And there's just not a lot to say about that other than, whoa. Oh, 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 right. Yeah, just like sound effects.
0: (laughs) Oh, all right. Well, I guess that'll do it for this week, then. Next week's our last Jake POV, The Answer. Thank you for listening. You can find our website at vandalites.com. Uh, if you want to send us any email, uh, hit us up at Fandalites at gmail.com. We're getting real close to the end now, so don't feel shy about sending us post-book 54 emails. Just make sure and mention in the subject not to open until we've read the last one. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, we're at Fandalites. Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. You can find his stuff at com. And until next time, remember, nostalgia is a drug.